Welcome back to The Backstory with Tom Bridwell and Chris Holt. This is a podcast where we talk about backstories of famous songs, but we've delved into other things than songs lately. Yes. Um, there's construction going on next door. Do you hear that? I do. That's some hammering. Hopefully will, the mics won't pick it will up. Will the but... audience hear that? <laughs> I thought this was a studio. Yeah, well, they're literally yeah. on that wall. It's going to be a beating. But anyway, it'll be, if nobody else can hear it, that means the soundproof is working. Good. Um. All right. So today, first of all, how'd you, how was your spring break, buddy? Uh, it was fairly uneventful. We didn't really do much. Uh I see you did. Judging from your incredible sunburn, I can see that you did something. We went to Mexico, and I, I day one myself. You know how you night one yourself? Of course. Well, no, I day one myself. I've, I've done it many a time. <clears throat> it was fun, though. But uh, we're back in the saddle. We're going to be talking about a song today, a wonderful, beautiful song by Dolly Parton. Yes. However, a lot of people probably think this is Whitney Houston. It's both. It kind of is, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, and, and finally, we get a chance to do something to dispel the false myth that I only like classic rock. Yes, Which has exactly. been perpetuated by you. For- <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, the song today is I Will Always Love You. And um, my initial thought when I hear this song is I think of the backstory. I really do, because once I learned it, it's all I can think about when I hear the title of the song. It is not really so much a love song between it's, two it's lovers. A, it's a mutual respect song about yes. we will still be friends. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, you know, the Whitney Houston version, it was like kind of the breakout song of uh that movie the bodyguard and it was sung from a perspective of two lovers but this the backstory of the song is like not not they're not yeah. lovers they're just mutual friends and and co-workers basically yeah business partners yes. and 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 I, I think it's it's please let me go and let me do my thing mm-hmm. with you know mm-hmm. with the hopeful sentiment of please you know please allow me you know I will always appreciate you for what you've done for me, but you got to let me go kind of trip. Absolutely. So I guess to begin, we should kind of bring us up to speed on where Dolly was at her career in this moment of her life. So so Dolly got her start uh, on a television show called The Porter Wagner Show. And Porter Wagner was this, you know, nudie suit wearing country icon (laughs) who, you know, he, he had his show for decades I and mean, yeah. it ran from like the 50s through the early 80s you know i mean he he was a big big deal he had and, some interesting hairdos oh yeah over and, the you years. Know, i mean he's he's kind of the classic country cheese ball i mean in yeah. my opinion yeah. I, I, maybe he was respected but oh yeah yeah he's for sure very, he's very but, I mean, corny uh, yes like like many of of his ilk at the time uh porter first became aware of a very young Dolly Parton who was about 20 years old at the time uh in 1967 she put out a single called Dumb Blonde mm-hmm. uh off her f- I think it was her first album called Hello Dolly right and 
strangely enough, a song she didn't write, even though she was a songwriter. That was Dolly's real, I mean, other than the fact that she was gorgeous and talented, she, but a, a songwriter. Talented. <laughs> no visual companion, no. sadly. <laughs> uh, so Porter recruited her to come be on his show because he was having to replace a singer named Norma Jean who was leaving the show much to the dismay of the fan base. Mm -hmm. So Porter invited Dolly to come be his duet partner. And of course she was young and ambitious and she said, sure, of course. And she had to deal with, uh, you know, a lot of heckling from, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know that it was public heckling. I don't think they heckled her from the audience, but she had to kind of win them over over a period of time. I can't imagine that those shows were filmed live. No, no. I, but, like, but but I think it was, you know, just according to her that it, yeah. it was difficult coming in. Uh, Norma Jean had been very beloved and, and she had to she had to kind of claw her way up to get the respect of the of the audience. But eventually, she was very successful, and she and Porter uh, were, they were an incredible team. They, yes. They, what was supposed to be a fairly short-lived thing, I think Dolly always had this idea that she would go solo and that she would She agreed do her to do the thing. show for five yeah, years. Yeah, I think it was a five-year contract or a five-year plan that mm -hmm. then turned into seven years. Yep. So, and, so they had all these successful hits as a duo. And uh, they, they would sing together. Porter kind of made all the decisions. He called all the shots. According to Dolly, they had a real uh, heated relationship, uh, not, not romantically, but heated. When it uh, came to creative control. Because he was just what she described as a classic male chauvinist pig. He just wanted to control everything mm -hmm. she did, didn't give her an opinion. And Dolly is a badass. Dolly, yeah. very headstrong. She didn't take his shit she basically yeah. was like no i'm so she stomped her feet and uh kept insisting that she be re treated with respect and, and and wanted to have some sort of equality in that relationship but porter always kind of kept her under his thumb the funny thing about that is in general <clears throat> music producing i feel like the producer is sort of like that more often than not is going to be like my way or the highway. Well, it depends That's on the, what it I'm depends here for. on the dynamic between artist and producer. And I think in that situation at that time, the way men treated women, yeah. a guy like Porter, even if he did respect Dolly's talent, he was kind of, you know, Hey, I'm the man here and I'm going to, you know, it was, yeah. a, it was a different way of looking at it. And, you know, he was a, bit of a chauvinist towards it. yeah but i mean as a as an engineer in a studio i've worked with some producers most of the time at my level i'm kind of doing some of the production myself because most of the bands i work with are pretty green but when i have had the pleasure of working with like actual producers it's an unwritten rule that it's going to be the producer's final decision on the song or why else have you hired me that's generally the rule of thumb yes. it's like if you're going to hire me You've got to give me at least, you've got to respect my expertise. Exactly. That's the role of the producer. So this sort of control of his was sort of inherent to the job, but I could see after five years and their closeness. I think it was just that there were repeated incidents where he didn't allow her to have an opinion. Yeah. Or at least that's, that's what was kind of put forth. Um, she wanted a solo career and kept putting out solo singles, but they never were successful. Uh, 
They always succeeded whenever they would do a duet. And Porter was, you know, he was he was trying to help her and eventually uh, suggested that she do a cover of Mule Skinner Blues, kind of a gimmicky, Never heard that. kind of a gimmicky corny. thing in like 1970 or 71. And that became successful. And that kind of opened the door for her to have some more solo singles. So then, you know, she started putting out, uh, you know, she put out Coat of Many Colors, which was kind of her signature song. And eventually... This all snowballed and snowballed until seven years into their partnership, she was absolutely ready to break free, and she was making an album called Jolene, mm-hmm. and that's what did it. The, 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 the inspiration for Jolene, I believe, was a bank teller, a really pretty bank teller that had flirted with Dolly's husband, and Dolly got... Like in real life, flirted, yes, with, flirted real, with Carl? Yeah, but she actually got the name Jolene from a fan who came to, uh, like a young girl who came to one of her shows and asked for her autograph. She said, oh, my name's Jolene. That's such like, a oh. great so name. So it just, it's just one of those classic stories. Yeah. So anyway, Dolly writes this phenomenal song called Jolene, which then becomes a huge hit and her biggest hit to date. And at that point, in the wake of the success of Jolene, she decides, I absolutely have to get out of here. Yeah. It's time. I'd always heard that Jolene was the catalyst, but I think it was just that it continued to snowball because here's the other thing. Dolly claims that she wrote Jolene and I will always love you on the same day. That is absolutely bonkers. If yeah. that is true. But I guess I had always heard that she said to herself, the best way I can communicate my feelings yes. is through songs. Absolutely. And she's a songwriter yeah. and she's like, I'm just going to do it this way. So she picks up the guitar, writes this song to him. And man, that'd be nuts if she wrote Jolene in the well, same so, day. So she, so she claimed later uh, that, that that was how it happened, that she wrote the two songs in the same day. But clearly she had been thinking about this for a long time. So when Jolene became a hit, I think that's when she finally said, well, I've got this other song. Maybe I just sing it to Porter and, and you know, now is the time to tell him. So what she did was she went to Porter and sang him the song, you know, <laughs> made it obvious that this was a message to him. And apparently he started crying he and said, this is the best song you've ever written. You can go, but you got to let me produce the song. <laughs> right. know, basically said, he said, give me a piece of the pie here. Let me, right. let me produce the song. Right. And, so uh, have you seen uh, Drunk History on Comedy Yes, Central? That, that episode's hilarious. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So Porter wanted to produce it. It became a huge hit. It became, it went to number one on the country charts. Yeah. You know, Dolly, Dolly at that point, this was a springboard for her career yes. to go through the roof. Now, Porter agreed to an amicable split, but they continued to work together during this period. Like yeah. they continued to do duets and, you know, so she was on her own. They were kind of free of their partnership agreement, but, but right. they had this amicable relationship. Mm-hmm. Five years later, 1979, he sues her for $3 million and claims he wants 15% of her net income mm-hmm. from the past five years. He wants 15% of future royalties. Like, oh, Did he ultimately lose that suit? 
No, they settled out of court, oh, and wow. she gave him a million dollars. That's insane. Which is insane, because yeah. she should have fought him. Yeah, she should have, because that's BS. Man. Yeah, and he talked a lot of shit in the press, too. Like, he did some interviews where he did not approve of her Playboy cover. Yeah. You know, saying, that, oh, well, Kitty Wells wouldn't do that. And yeah. Dolly was like, well, I'm not Kitty Wells. That That's some of the male chauvinistic <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah, coming through right yeah. there. Just And some maybe some jealousy. Because, you know, he's just a two-bit television host. Well, I wouldn't say he was two-bit. I mean, he was a big well, deal. That hair but... piece was two-bit. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So Dolly, of course, you know, the rest is history with her. Her career totally exploded. Yeah. She she uh, became the icon that she is, you know. And, and uh, even after she... Gave him a million dollars for being a dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just being a dick. Yeah. Then, later, he ran into some major financial problems with the IRS, and, and she bailed him out. She bought his production company and then gifted it back to him for free. Gave it back to him. Well, she did say she will always I, love him. I mean, him. the thing is, Dolly is, she is, you know... A saint, yeah. just a total saint, and so yeah. So that was that was the thing is, no matter what Porter did, she still was willing to to go the extra mile to to help him. Just yeah. I, I think just from what I could tell, just out of the kindness of her heart. And she even said in the press, "Oh, you know, he said lies about me. He said things about me that weren't true. But you know what? I still love him. He, I'm still grateful to him. You know, I owe him so much for what he did for me." And so I don't know if it was out of obligation or if it was just gen, uh, genuine kindness. But, but yeah. the fact that she did that for him is pretty amazing. Agreed. I'm going to start the track now. Yes, we're going to listen to the 1974 version. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is also a 1982 remake that she of did. Of hers? Yes, yeah. that she did for a movie called The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. sounded like when she played it for him in the office like just just her i'd love to hear what it sounds like you know versus this her voice is just unbelievable so have you heard the elvis story about this yeah i was gonna say <laughs> so elvis wanted to record it and he reached out to dolly and said that he wanted to do a version of it this is in probably 75 or so you know a couple years before he died yeah and dolly was stoked yeah but colonel tom Went, went to Dolly and wanted Dolly to give up uh, like half of the publishing on it. Or of something. course, Colonel Tom wanted that. Yeah, Freaking and he and he tried idiot. to tell her, "Oh, it's standard. It's standard. You give us half the publishing." <laughs> and Dolly just she said something told her that that wasn't right, and yeah. and she agonized over it and said, "Oh my God, it's Elvis." I mean, like 
how many people would turn down Elvis in that situation? Well, but Dolly, for whatever reason, she said she knew it was the right thing to do, and she said no. I bet it's because she wasn't on painkillers, <laughs> and she could tell that that guy was a douche, and she had intuition not... Are you, are you speaking of Elvis or of Colonel Tom? I'm speaking of Colonel Tom. Say the Elvis uh, faithful course, are going to come down on you no, so hard. dude, Elvis is not a douche, but... You know what well, I'm saying? If anybody knows the story of that, I mean, he was just so drugged up to know that he was getting taken advantage of, whereas Dolly was like sweet, clean, pure, had but intuition smart. and was but like, smart. no, yeah. dude, this Dolly, guy's a scumbag. Dolly saw the writing on the wall and she yeah. was like, no, I've got no to thanks. keep my own publishing, Good uh, on which her. was a wise choice because oh my gosh. obviously, whoa. Yeah. So, do you have a copy of the 1982 version that we no, can hear? No, but... You you vamp and I'll find it. Okay, well, so anyway, uh, she did a re she remade the song for a film called The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas with Burt Reynolds. Who, that may have been a little before your time, but I remember it. I remember the name um, of the movie. Yeah, I was nine when it came out. So. Yeah, but there, that there's no way a kid from Abilene, Texas, that goes to St. Paul United Methodist Church every Sunday is going to be allowed to watch. So she remakes it and re-releases it. And it goes to number one again, eight years later. And it's a rare distinction in which the same artist goes to number one twice with the same song. Doesn't happen very often. No, and I, and they right. were two different versions because the one that went to number one in 1974, this one was a remake. Uh, so that's kind of a fascinating thing. And also she did it a third time in 1995, she did a duet with Vince Gill that I think it peaked at like number 15, but it was a third top 20 version of the same song. Three different versions, all top 20 singles of the same song by the same artist, which is pretty unique. Yeah, here it is right here. It doesn't sound any less sleepy. In fact, that harmonica even makes it sound more podunk. It's got to be Charlie McCoy on harmonica, I bet. It's still good. Yeah. I, I prefer the original, though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is a little schmaltzier. It's a schmaltzier version. Definitely. It's, it's, it's 80s, you know, yeah. so you get... The quality of the song shines through, though. Absolutely. I mean, at least it's still pretty organic production. You've yeah. still got nice country elements without it being overly reliant on sappy textures. Yeah, know? of course. All right, so she did that, and then uh, made another little chunk, I'm sure, as yes, that yes, thing, yes. as so, sales picked up yeah. again for the second time. So then, let's see, what happened next? We just got to fast forward to uh, 1992, when it becomes this worldwide phenomenon. Uh, 
as a result of the Whitney Houston remake. Kind of crazy if you think about what was happening right in the middle of the grunge. Well, so you had the grunge thing and explosion. you had the, the, immersion, uh, the emerging hip hop thing that was happening too. You know, yes. this is right when the chronic was exploding. Yeah, no, you know, I mean, like, you know, the R&B scene was still happening too. I mean, you, I mean, R&B was huge at the yes. time. So let's talk about this for a second because there's an interesting part of the story here. Originally, Whitney Houston was supposed to sing a song, uh, the old Jimmy Ruffin song called What Becomes of the Broken Hearted. That was the song she was supposed to sing for The Bodyguard. But at some point, she became aware that that song was being used uh, prominently in a movie called Fried Green Tomatoes. You remember that movie? Of course. So Whitney decided that, yeah, she did not want to do that song anymore because she just felt like, oh, well, it's already being utilized here. Let's pick a different song. Kevin Costner was the one who suggested I Will Always Love You. And he played Whitney Linda Ronstadt's version from 1975. Keep in mind that at, the, at this time, this song had been covered a ton. Like tons of people had done versions of this, this song. In fact, a little sidebar, Dolly had tried to get Patti LaBelle to cover it for a long time because she thought Patti LaBelle would do a good job. And Patty had blown her off repeatedly, right. like had had constantly passed on recording the song. Big mistake. Big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, Patty, that's crazy. Patty LaBelle has expressed much regret over that. <laughs> wow. That is nuts. Yeah. So anyway, so Costner, and this this is a testament to Costner's uh influence at the time keep in mind this was right around the time of dances with wolves uh -huh. costner was on top of the world this is two years before water world completely tanked his career yeah remember water oh yeah i remember and or, no, i wait, actually was water world 93 or 95 it might have been 95 but anyway it was a I couple think it of years was 95 because yeah. it was my freshman or sophomore year okay. in college i was so, too busy so to see it he's still three or four years from derailing his career yeah but i kind of liked water world Oh yeah, it's got water. It's a sweet premise. It's got, it could, it's got some moments. If it was remade yeah. today, it would crush. Yeah. Anyway, back to the story. Anyway, yes. So Costner plays her Linda Ronstadt's version, and Whitney's like, "Yes, this is great." Enter, gong gong, mm -hmm. David Foster. Don't get me started <laughs> on David fucking Foster. Anyway, David Foster, who ruined Chicago, the once great Chicago. Uh, very, very successful producer loves to slather pop productions in all kinds of schmaltzy schmaltzness. Yeah. And they decided to reinvent it as a soul ballad, which was not a bad idea by any means, but Foster's production, uh, I could do without. Anyway, they record the song, Whitney's record label, Arista said, this isn't going to work because you've got an acapella introduction to the song. It's not, that will never play on radio. It'll never go. You've got to change it. Add some instrumentation, kill the acapella intro. And Whitney and Kevin Costner, Costner, like, why is he involved? Well, I mean, I, of course. Because it was his idea and because yeah, of yeah. his influence at the and time. And he might have been an executive producer on this movie, right? I mean, yes, surely, yes, yes. Yeah. So he said, no keep it exactly as it is this is going to kill this yeah. is going to be huge and of course they were right um 
and I mean, you know, the song, uh, Whitney's version was a record 14 weeks at number one, certified diamond, you know, like, I mean, it, it it's one of the most successful singles in the history of the music business. Shall we give it a listen? Uh, yes. Should stay I would only be in your way Now, let me say, the single most redeeming thing about this is Whitney Houston. Her vocal is unbelievable. Yes. It is, I mean, second only to Dolly and because I love Dolly so Mm -hmm. much, but Whitney's voice is just pure magic. But David Foster ruins this song. Yeah. I, I, I can't stand the production on it, especially the smooth jazz sax solo by Kirk Whalem. Yeah. Which, you know, yes, respected musician, but still, I just like, it's, it's, it's that, it's that post 80s. It's like, like, oh, in my, God. oh yeah, you hear that it? It sounds like a, sucks. it sounds like a DX7. It sounds like a Chicago song from 85. It's like, why is this production still a thing in 1992? Yeah, you know, Barf, dude, yeah. that's so bad. I, personally, I kind of don't Imagine, like. I don't like all the reverb at the beginning, like on her vocal. If they just had it a lot drier what and more upfront, like in your face, it would have been so much more impactful. Imagine if somebody were to take the isolated vocal track yeah. and reproduce this song uh, with a new backing. That, I'm sure a, somebody might someday. It, it probably already exists. Yeah. You could probably Google that shit, and it probably is out there. Somebody probably did a mashup of like. A, a more organic sounding production and it won it won bukus of grammys yeah it won, i mean it was record of the year and female vocal of the year and all that i mean it it, it sold more than <laughs> it's nauseating well the thing is it won the critics over unanimously and i yeah. think it was again the power of whitney yeah that that did it because the production is so dated and i just don't understand why anybody ever thought those kind of keyboards so you don't like good. the production <laughs> have i not made that clear yeah, no, the, no, the, no, those I, keyboards, I really, those I, keyboards I, are atrocious yes yes i just think the production and the sax bad sax not good sax this is the kind of saxophone they don't have in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and I could do without I could do without the key change, you know. Yeah. Um uh but she can pull off that oh, key change. Oh, she pulls boy. it off and it is it is triumphant and spectacular, but uh, oh, another here's an interesting thing. So the version that uh Costner played for Whitney was Linda Ronstadt's version which excluded the final verse of the song. And when Dolly caught wind of that, Dolly called David Foster and said, please, please put the final verse in because it's very important to the song. Yeah. That's great. I didn't, I didn't know that little tidbit. Yeah. So Whitney wound up recording the final verse. Yeah, man, that's nuts. That's uh, what a song. What a, I mean, truly this is kind of, when we were talking about this podcast, the, the genesis of this, this was one of the songs we put on the list immediately because and we took a long time to get to it but we knew that this is what this podcast was for yeah yeah these types of backstories most people don't really know i mean obviously you can look all this stuff up on the internet 
but I feel like you bring, when you tell the story, you bring a little bit more to it. Well, and, you know, this is one of those songs, uh, it's for, <laughs> for Dolly especially, the gift that keeps on giving. What you cannot get from the internet about this is an actual um, experience with Dolly. Would you like to tell us about your experience with Dolly? <laughs> Let's make this about me. Um, so when I started working with Don uh, Henley in 2015, um, he asked me to come to L.A. to shoot a video. And we went to L.A. and went to the Village Recorders. You know where the Village Recorders is? It's where they made Asia. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's quite a big deal in West, L uh, in West L.A. And uh, we wound up shooting two videos that day. Um, one of them was a song called Take a Picture of This, which I'm, I'm featured very prominently in that video. And the other one was for a duet that Don and Dolly did together called When I Stopped Dreaming, which was an old Leuven Brothers song. And, and Dolly, you know, she was like, oh, yeah, I used to sing it with Porter. It was a song she and Porter Amazing. used to do. So so she and Don did it as a duet. And I was there the entirety of that video shoot as well. But I was completely cut out of the video. Oh. There's no, there's no, there, there, there's a, you remember uh, the band Rooney? Oh, yeah. Taylor Locke, the okay. guitar player from Rooney, was the other guitar player on the session. So it was me and Taylor Locke. Awesome. He was playing acoustic on the song, and I was playing electric. But there's not really any electric part on right. our version. Right. So they didn't. So I was just literally cut out of the video. And you don't look like Taylor Locke. I know. But but we're <laughs> no both, offense, buddy. But I know. I, yes, believe me, I know. But we, uh, we we were both prominently featured in the other song. Take a picture of this. That's awesome. That's, uh, so my experience with Dolly was. I, I got to spend a day with her in the studio. What did she smell like? I didn't sniff her, but dude, she was so sweet and she was everything every one of us wanted her to be. Did she, is she, she like she, really short? She's very petite. Uh -huh. um, I wouldn't say short, yeah. but just, just tiny and incredibly sweet Yeah, and seemed very genuine, literally walked around to each person in the room introduced herself mm -hmm. and like talked to us mm -hmm. didn't ever give off any sort of star trip she didn't have a an entourage of people mm -hmm. like she was so cool and, and looked great did you did you look at her cleavage i just stared right into her beautiful eyes the whole time you, you liar <laughs> <laughs> dude you want to know something crazy when I was driving over here on the tollway, there's a huge Dolly Parton billboard that says kindness, pass it on or something like that. That's awesome. She's very genuine from, from what I can tell. Hopefully nothing bad about her will ever come out. Yeah. What a career and, and what a talent. And I love the whole Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing where she said, no, I don't deserve to be in the Rock Hall. And they were like, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> that wraps that up. I will always love you. Can I, can, so are we ever going to fight? We're so nice to each other. Like if anybody knows the history of me and Tom, nobody fights like me and Tom. Has somebody said, why haven't y'all fought? What made you think of that? No, I thought about it. The, I don't know. I thought about it the other day and I was like, it's funny. We never argue. We kind of like, well, that's because when we're not in a band together. We get along so well. And that's, <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> We're not trying to create something of yours that I'm not doing justice to. And you're not constantly needling me with your with your pointed stick. This is all going to get edited out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, dude. Uh, later. Good stuff. Good stuff.